Well, it's very warm up there. It's a lot of cooler down here. You know, the Bay Area will always have a special place in my heart because it is in the Bay Area where my family came here to the United States, and that's where we first lived. So we landed in San Francisco, and we lived in um, San Jose from about 79. My family lived there from about 79 to 82 and before moving to Sacramento. But the rest of my family and the rest of my extended family, we all came into that area. Right? We all came into that area, and we all lived in San Jose for, uh, for a while before we all started uh, moving to other places throughout the United States. And now we're, we're scattered all over the United States. You know, we have family in, in Fresno. We have family in, in Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, all over the place now. But we all started. We all started from the Bay Area. We all started there in San Jose when we, uh, when we left the refugee camp in, uh, in Thailand and when we came to, to the United States. And so that's, that's a place that will always be a part of my life, will always be very special to me. And so I went to school there after I finished high school. And you know, when I, going back there just to, just to go to school, one of the things that you see over there is that you know, there's, there's just beautiful, beautiful homes in the Bay Area. And so they had all these, you know, they have all these beautiful houses, all these beautiful homes that, that, they, that they built, and they placed all these beautiful homes on all these cliffs, right? All these nice-looking cliffs, and you walk in there, and, and, and they will have all these, these wide-open windows, and you can just sit in those homes, you can just stand in those homes, and you can see the whole Bay Area. You can see all of San Francisco, you can see mu much of Oakland. Um, when I was going to school there, I actually sold Kirby vacuum cleaners, right? How many of you guys here had, has, a, has a Kirby, right? So I used to sell uh, Kirby vacuum cleaners. I did that for about a year or so. Now, I was actually pretty good at it. Uh, but, you know, one of, the, one of the good things about that is that you get to go into all these people, all these different people's homes. And so I was able to go to, into one of, this, one of these uh, houses, one of these rich, rich houses. And, wow, it's just so nice. It's just so nice to go in there. So it was a three-story uh, three house. You know, very, very rich, you know, successful couple. And you can just stand there and just watch over the Bay Area. And, and you know, at that time, of course, I, I grew up in the projects. And so just going into a house like that it was something that was just mesmerizing to me. It was something that was so wonderful, something that I dreamed about. That maybe one day, maybe one day I'll live in a house just like that. And then I go on thinking that, you know what, even if I, even if I don't have a house like that here on Earth, maybe one day in heaven, maybe I'll have a home like that, right? Because that's one of the things that we always look forward to is that one day we will be in heaven and, and, and uh, we will be in a mansion, you know, up in heaven. And so, you know, even if I don't have a home like this in this lifetime, maybe one day I'll have a house like that up in heaven uh, with my Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, a few years back, about 10 years back, I remember watching the news about, you know, many of these homes. Many of these homes that were built on these cliffs, on these hillsides, overseeing the bay. And as those, as those clears, as those, those hillsides started to crumble, these homes also started to crumble. And they started to fall apart. These beautiful multi-million dollar homes, they started to fall apart. They started to crumble too. And then I go back to my home in Yuba City where I grew up in this, this house in the project. It's not, a very fancy, it's not a very fancy house at all. It's a very small house. It had five bedrooms, but you know, the five bedrooms were very small bedrooms, very small house, no more than about 1,400 square foot home. No garage, no nothing. Going back there and I see this house that I grew up in. And you know what, it's been, it's been about 30, 40 years since I've been there, but yet this house still remains standing. It still remains standing because the foundation 
the foundation of the house was strong. That's one of the things that we have to think about as Christians, is what is it that we are building the foundation of our faith upon? Because we can have the most beautiful home, we can have the best life, and yet if the foundation of our life is not built upon a solid foundation, it will come, come crumbling down. Just as the verse that we read here, as Jesus used this parable to teach about these two builders, that no matter how wonderful our life may be on the outside, no matter how beautiful our life may be on the outside, but if the foundation of our life, the foundation of our faith is not built upon the right foundation, if it is simply built upon the foundation of sand, then when the storm comes, when the times of testing comes, then that house will fall. And, he, and, and then we go and see this house, this house that I grew up in, in the project. It's not a very beautiful house. It's not a very beautiful house at all. It's a very basic house. It didn't even have carpet in it. Uh, that house had no carpet in it. And yet, this house remained standing all these years because it was built upon a solid foundation. And so this is something that we must challenge ourselves. This is something that we must ask ourselves, that today as I'm walking with Christ, today as I'm coming to church, today as I'm building my church, today as I'm building my denomination, today as I'm building my life in Christ, my faith in Christ, what is it that I'm building upon? What is it that is the foundation of my faith? This passage here in Matthew chapter 7 comes from what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Most biblical scholars, upon looking at this, this sermon, they will say this is probably the very best sermon ever preached. And it must be because it was preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, just looking at how Matthew, how Matthew wrote this book, just seeing how Matthew wrote these chapters, and how he presented the, the Sermon on the Mount, it is, it is a beautiful thing in which Matthew was doing here. You know, some of the some of the younger people, some of the some of our college age students, they 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 come up to me. Some of our youth, they come up to me and they say, "You know, Pastor, I've never re really paid attention to the Bible before. Is there anything in the literature, you know, the Bible in, in in terms of you know its literature? Is there anything in there that's 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 good?" And and I often refer them to these ideas of how beautiful just the literature, just just the way that the authors wrote wrote the Bible. Because Matthew, Matthew, he is, he is presenting, he is presenting the Lord Jesus Christ to his own people. He was presenting the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. And he starts off by introducing Jesus Christ, this, this sermon here on the mount, by saying that Jesus went up the hill. And so what he is doing in this, he is taking Jesus Christ, and if we understand exactly what Matthew was saying there, we see that Matthew was taking Jesus Christ, and Matthew was saying that this is Moses. He is like Moses going up a hill, going up this mountainside. And so to the Jews, when they heard this, to the Israelites, when they heard this, they understood what Matthew was saying, that this is the prophet, that this person that's going up the hill, he is a prophet just like Moses the one that we've been following for all these years, the one that we've been, you know, we've been, you know, applying his laws to our life all these years. But there's a difference, see? There's a difference. When Moses approached God, what did Moses do? When Moses approached God, Moses had to take off his sandals. Moses had to take off his sandals because he is now approaching a holy God. 
But when Jesus went up the mountain, when Jesus got up on the mountain, he did not have to take off his shoes, but Matthew tells us that he sat down. And what a wonderful, what a beautiful thing it is. Because now, now Matthew is saying to them, now Matthew is telling us that there is this prophet that he's going up this hill. But he is not just a prophet, but now he's also the king. And he sits at his throne, and he sits down, and that, 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 that action, that posture of sitting relates to us and teaches us that this is not just your ordinary prophet. This is not like any other prophets in the Old Testament, but this is the king of kings. This is the God, the son of God himself. And he sits, and unlike, unlike Moses who goes up to receive the word, Jesus Christ, when he got up on that mountain, and when he sat down, he spoke the word. He spoke the word. And so they realize, they realize when they, re they read about this sermon, that today we have someone so much greater than Moses. We have the Son of God himself, who sat down on his throne, and he was proclaiming the message to us. That he was proclaiming the message with, to us with authority. And that's why, it finishes, that's why the Sermon on the Mount finishes off in verse 29, saying that after Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So he taught as no one has ever taught before. He taught as no prophets have ever taught before. He, he had an authority unlike anybody before him. And then he goes on and he talks about the and he starts talking about the Beatitudes, the very first thing coming out of his mouth. He talks about the Beatitudes. Blessed is this, blessed is that. And he turned the whole world upside down at that time. Because all the values, all the things that we consider to be blessed in our own lives, Jesus Christ says, no, those things are not what it means to be blessed. But to be blessed is to be poor in spirit. And he goes on and on and talk about that. Being poor, what does that mean? For the people of his time, that's not blessedness. That's a curse. But Jesus is saying, no, that's blessedness. That is being blessed. And after he talks about the Beatitudes, or he talks about the characteristics of being a Christian, he goes on, he talks about the laws, he talks about the prophets, he talks about anger, he talks about adultery, he talks about divorce. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully already committed adultery. You say, so he's taking the laws, he's, talk, he's taking the practices of, these, of, of, the, of the religious people at that time, and he's actually elevating it. Because to them, to them, adultery, you had to commit the act of adultery before it's considered adultery. And yet Jesus Christ is saying, no, you know what? If you're simply thinking about it, if you're simply thinking about it, you have already committed adultery. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is elevating these, these standards for us. And the reason he's doing that is because he wants us to understand that by our own righteousness, we can never, ever approach a holy God. And it is only in him, it is only in him that we can ever approach our God. And then he goes on, he talks about taking vows and taking an oath before God, letting your yes be yes, your no's be no's. Don't say all kinds of different things and end up not doing anything. A lot of times we do that. We, we say God will do this and we'll do that, but we end up doing nothing. And so Jesus Christ is saying, you know, he's a holy God. 
He's the, he's the holy God. Let your yes be yes. Let your no's be no's before God. And then he goes on, talks about loving your enemies, something that's so difficult for us to do. So love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he goes on and on. And then going to chapter 7, he starts out by saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. And this is about hypocrisy. It's talking about hypocrisy. People using different standards to judge other people, yet they're doing the exact same thing in their own lives. It's talking about hypocrisy. He's not talking about no judgment at all. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about hypocrisy. And then he goes and talks about prayer when he says, ask, seek, and knock. Then he goes and talks about the golden rule. And then he goes and talks about the narrow gate. The narrow gate. The, the path to um, life is the narrow gate. And then he talks about false prophets. And he says that we are to watch out for these false prophets because many of them are going to come proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, we can tell them by their fruits, by the things that they teach, by the way that they live their life, that they are not of Christ. And even though they may claim to be, that they are not of Christ. The Bible teaches us that just like Satan, designed, he counterfeits himself as, as an angel of light that many of the false prophets will also do the same thing. They'll also do the very same thing. And then he goes on and talks about false discipleship. He says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it is in the end. It is now finally towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount that he goes and he talks about the foolish builder, and the wise builder. He talks about the foundation in which we built our life upon. He talks about the foundation in which we live our, our faith, in which we built our faith upon. And he goes and he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, you see, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the foundation that Jesus Christ is talking about here is his word. It is his word. The foundation is this rock here that he's talking about is his word. That if we were to listen to everything, the, the things that he taught here in the Sermon on the Mount and in the word of God, that if we were to listen and if we were to trust and if we were to obey these things, then we are like a people that is building our house upon this rock. We are like a people that's just building our house upon this rock. And so the wise builder, when we look at the wise builder, we realize that the wise builder is someone who is led by the word of God. That he listens, he trusts, he obeys what God has revealed to him through scriptures. In Psalm chapter 119 verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's what we just sung about. That's what we just sung Sung about, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 2, the opening of the worship book. The opening of the worship book in the Bible opens up by saying this, that blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or, st or stand in the, way of the, in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So take away all that negative stuff, and let's just focus on the positive stuff. And the positive stuff basically says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Now sometimes we have to question ourselves, and we need to ask ourselves, or we need to ask God, why is it, God, that in your book of worship, 
Why is it that in the very first, in the very first verses of the book of worship, that you are calling us to delight in your ways? Because that's what worship is all about. We can never truly, fully worship God unless we truly delight in who God is. Until, until we truly delight in his word. Until his desires become our desires. Until his will becomes our will. Until we're able to surrender ourselves to God, I will no longer live by my ways. I will no longer live by my will. The things that I desire, put that away. Destroy that. Give me a new heart. Let me live by your ways. Let me live by your will. I surrender everything to you and let me be the one to live by your will. Let me follow your ways. And that's, what, that's, that's why God opens up, that's why the Holy Spirit opens up the book of worship by teaching us that this is what it means to worship. This is what it means to go before God. It means that we are to find, to, to delight in Him. That we are to desire in Him. That nothing else, nothing else matters very much to us except this, this person, this God, this Son of God named Jesus Christ. That He has become everything in our life. That He has become everything in our life. That He's not simply just something that we put on. That He's just not, not a hobby that we do on the weekend. He's just not a t-shirt that we wear, but that He is everything. That he is everything, that he is the king of our, 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 our hearts. He reigns over our life, every aspect of our lives. And that's one of the things that we talked about over when we went over to, um, to Chicago. Is that oftentimes, we as Christians, one of the mistakes that we make is that when we come to church, we believe that this place here is for God. And right when we leave the church, right when we step out of the church, we forget all about what it means to be a Christian. And so our lives never produce fruit outside the walls of the church. And we need to come to the realization in our life that God is everything in our life. No matter if you're sitting here in the pews listening to a pastor or you're over at your office, sitting at your office, working with your employees, working with your, your bosses, that even in that environment, even in that environment, you can use that to glorify God. See, God is a part of our life. Christianity is a part of our life. It is who we are, no matter where we may be. You know, many Christians, we come to church, and we, we, we have great behavior here at church. But the minute we leave the church, all of that is gone. All of that is gone. All the behavior that we, that, all the Christian behavior, all the, all the being, you know, being polite and things of that sort, it happens in the church. But the minute we walk out of the church, we're a totally different person. That's one of the things we talked about in Chicago, was how can we, how can we as pastors, how can we understand that God, that Jesus Christ is everything in our lives? Not just when we come to church, not, when, not just when we stand before our, our parishioners and preach, but how can we understand, how can we make God a part of our everyday lives? It's a challenge that even for us as pastors that we face. And I'm sure many of you face that very same challenge. But it's a challenge that we must take. It's a challenge that we must challenge ourselves. That I want Christ to be everything in my life. That he's not just something I do on Sunday, but he's something that I do every second of my life. And that's what, that's what the wise builder does. But he does not only, he's, not only is he led by the word of God, but he goes on and says that he also puts it 
them into practice. Now, when he hears the word of God, he puts them into practice, you see. James says, James says that, you know, do not merely listen to the word. If you, if you come and you just listen to the word and then you, don't, you go home and you don't practice it, you don't apply it to your life, then you're just deceiving yourself. You're just lying to yourself. But what, you, what James is saying is that he's saying that, you know what, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. The earlier, chap, the earlier um, Old Testament scripture that we read from David in Psalm chapter 80, 85, verse 8, David says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. I will listen to what God the Lord says. Is that something that we can do in our life? Is that something that I can proclaim in my own life? I can say, God, you know what? I don't agree with what you're telling me. I don't even understand what you're telling me. What you're telling me, I, you know, that's, that's, that's not me. But let me surrender myself to you and let me do what you say. Let me do what you say. And then it goes on and it talks about the foolish builder. When it talks about the foolish builders, it talks about those who hear these words of God and does not put them into practice. And it says that the person who does that, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Many churches are dying. Many denominations are dying. Many people are walking away from the faith here in America especially. Why is that? Have we been building our church, have we been building our faith upon sand? Or are we building our faith upon the rock of Jesus Christ, upon his words, upon the, his will, not our own will? One of the greatest challenges in the past when I used to serve on governing board with, with elders and people of that sort who, who were elected to, to oversee their church is that many people, they come to make decisions in a church without ever consulting to the word of God. They make, they make decisions based upon their own ideas. They make decisions based upon their own culture. They say, you know what? The Hmong culture has always been like this, so we're going to keep doing that. But they never consult the Word of God. They never consult Jesus Christ. They never go to Christ. They, they hardly go to Christ. They hardly go to God in prayer and say, God, what is it? What is your will for my life? What is your will for my church? Now, now that you've elected me to become an elder of this church, now that you've appointed me to be a pastor, a senior pastor, associate pastor, a youth pastor of this church, what is it? What is your will? And many times we don't ask these things. Many times we just go back to the things that we learn in, in Bible college. I learned this myth, method, that, I learned that method. And so we try to apply these things. We go back to our culture because maybe we were a culture, uh, cultural leader. And so we're used to all kinds of different traditions within our culture. And we said, you know, this is the way our culture is, so we're always going to be doing this. And so we never seek out the will of God, but we seek out our own will. And that's what God calls the foolish builder. He's the one who does not listen to the, to the word of God. He's the one that rejects God. He does, not build, he does not build his foundation upon the rock. He builds his foundation upon his own ideas. And if we read into Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 to verse 8, we see different people. We see people who, different, you know, different people in the way that they, they respond to the word of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 4, we see, we see Jesus Christ using a parable about the sour. 
that the sower, that he was going around and he was sowing his, his seeds. And the first, the first few seeds that he sowed fell, fell, excuse me, fell upon the path. It fell upon the path and so the birds came and the birds ate it up. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about people with hardened hearts. The seeds that fell upon the path, he's talking about people with hardened hearts that no matter what you teach them, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what the Word of God says, that they will always reject the Word of God. They have, they've, they've bondaged themselves so much to their own lust. They've bondaged themselves so much to their own will. They've bondaged themselves so much to sin that the Word of God cannot penetrate their heart. And that the Word of God will not penetrate their hearts. And we see this in, in the story of Pharaoh. During the time of the Exodus, when the heart of Pharaoh became so hardened that no matter how many plagues came upon the people of Egypt, he would not listen. He would not listen. And we, 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 have this, we used to have a parishioner in the CMA. He used to get on, into trouble at church all the time. He used to into fights with everybody. He used to into trouble with everybody. And no matter how much the pastor tries to teach him, the more the pastor tries to teach him, the more he hates the pastor because he's saying that the pastor is not allowing him to be himself. He just wants to be himself, right? And so, you know, the pastor would try to help him. The pastor would try to teach him how to get along with the church, how to get along with other people in the church. And the more the pastor teaches him, the more hardened he becomes. The more the pastor teaches him, the more... He gets offended by what the pastor has to say. And still today, you know, even though I've left the Methodist church, you know, I mean, I've left the CMA church for all these years, he's still having trouble because it's the same guy. His heart has become so hardened that no matter what anybody says, it, it won't penetrate his heart. And those are the first seeds that Jesus Christ is talking about. And then he goes on, he talks about the seeds that falls upon the rocky places. And when it falls upon the rocky places, it sprang up quickly but withered because there was no root. I have this nephew. Man, I have this nephew, bright guy. Very, very talkative. He can talk, you know, Joe knows him. <laughs> he can talk all day long, right? He can talk all day long. Whenever we talk, whenever we talk to him about, you know, doing family gatherings, doing family parties, going family camping, he's the first guy that stands up and says, let's do it. He's the first guy that gets excited about it. He's the first guy that comes up with all the plans for it. But when we go, he never shows up. Never shows up. He doesn't come. And that's one of the things. That's what he's talking about are the seas that fell onto the rocky places. Is that we get all ex excited when we hear the word of God, but nothing comes out of it. No fruit comes out of it. There's no action comes out of it. So nothing comes out of it because there's no root. We just get excited. And many times we see that, that in, in many of our churches because we go to conferences, we go to all these gatherings, and the pastor will, you know, motivate us so much, and we have all these energies, but then the next thing we know, we walk out of the church, we walk out of the conference, 20 minutes later, we're back to being the same person because there's no root. Never really penetrated our hearts. It was very superficial, very shallow. And so never take root in our life. The third, the third type of people when the seed fell upon, when the, the seed fell upon those among the thorns. The, but the thorns grew up and it killed the plants. 
Now, sometimes we hear the Word of God, we get so excited about it, but there's so much things going around us, so much distraction going around us, that all these distractions keep us away from serving God. All these distractions keep us away from, from our faith. There's this pastor, there's this pastor, this, this monk pastor, he's really into hunting. He loves hunting. He loves to go out there, you know, hunt for squirrels, hunt for, 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 um, for deers and all, all, all that stuff, right? Every single time he comes to church on Sunday, do you guys know what he does? He packs up his truck with everything. Packs up his truck with all his guns. He packs, packs up his truck with all his uh, camping gear. Everything that he needs for his, camping, for his camping trip, for his hunting trip, it's all in his truck. And then he'll come to church, he'll give a short 20-minute sermon, and he'll take off. He'll just take off to go hunting. And his heart is hardly into his, into his ministry. His heart is hardly into his sermon. His heart is hardly into the things that he, he, he wanted to say that day. His mind, even though he was preaching, his mind, his mind was out there in the, in the forest, out there on his hunting trip. That's what he was thinking about. And every time he, when he would get up to preach, that's where his mind will be at, just thinking about his hunting trip. I used to be like that, too, because I used to love, because I love football. And so many times I go to church, and I'll, I'll preach to the youth, or I'll preach to, I'll preach to the church, and I'll be up here preaching, but my mind is on football, you know? I'm wondering what the score is right now. I wonder if the 49ers are winning right now. And a lot of times, things like that distracts us from the faith. And so, we can, so a lot of times it keeps us from totally committing ourselves to our faith because so many things just rise up. They're like thorns in our lives, distracting us, just distracting us from the faith. And one of, one of the things that I really appreciated about my, the Hmong ministry and, and the CMA was, is how much, how much commitment they give to their ministry. You know, if, if, you're, if you're elected to go represent a church at an annual conference, you're expected to use your vacation time to go. And I used to have to do that. You know, I'll go, I'll go many years without taking a vacation because I would use all my vacation time at work to go to the annual conference to represent the church. And so some of those, those things, some of those things is something that's common, commonly practiced among them. And that's the reason why they're able, to, they're able to build churches that are worth millions and millions of dollars, 10, 15, 20 million dollars. Hmong people, the Hmong ministry within the Christian and Missionary Alliance, because it takes a lot of commitment. But if, if we're constantly being distracted by all these different things, it's hard for us to be truly committed to the ministry that we have. It's hard, it's hard for us to be committed to the ministry that we have. When I became the Hmong Caucus Chair here in the United Methodist, Chair, um, United Methodist Church, the first thing I did was I said, I'm cutting, I'm cutting off all the funds for our ministry. And the reason why I did that, the reason why I did that was because the ministry, the Hmong ministry here in the United Methodist Church, the reason why we haven't grown is because we depend, our funds, we depend on the conference. We always depend on the conference to give us money to do ministry. We never, we never donate ourselves. And so it became a culture, it became a habit. It became a, a culture of dependency, just depending on other people to provide the funds. We never use our own funds for it. That's one of the challenges. I've never seen anything like that, but it's something that was, that, that was a challenge within our, our United Methodist Church towards our Hmong ministry. And so I cut off all the funds, and I said, you know what? We're not, we're not going to the conference for anything until we, can, until we can do something ourselves because we can't be doing that. 
lot of, a lot of it requires commitment. A lot of it requires commitment. And we can't let all these other things sprung up in our lives, all these thorns sprung up in our lives to distract us from our faith. We can't allow that. And then the final, the final one that, that Jesus talks about is the good soil. The good soil is the one that produced crop, that produced fruits. And Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15, verse 12, he says that he, uh, he referring to, to God the Father, that he will cut off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will even bear, oh, so, so that it, so it will be even more fruitful. We are challenged as Christians to bear fruits. God did not call us to just sit in pews. God did not call us to just come to church. God called us to bear fruits in our lives as Christians. And to do that, to do that, we are to build our house upon the rock of Jesus Christ, the foundation which is his word, putting it into practice, regardless of how we feel about it. I struggle with the Word of God. Prophets in the Old Testament struggled with the Word of God. The disciples struggled with what Jesus Christ had to say. When Jesus said, I have to go and die, Peter got up and said, no, no, I'm not going to allow that. Peter struggled with it. He denied Jesus Christ three times. And yet, even though we all struggle with it, we simply trust that His way is the way for us. And so what we must do as a church, is we must come to decide is what foundation is it that we're building our faith upon? What foundation is it that we're building our church upon? What foundation is it that we're building our denomination upon? How are you walking your faith each and every single day? Are you still walking your faith based upon your own will? Are you still walking your faith based upon what you want, based upon what you desire? Or are we walking our faith by surrendering our will and surrendering our lives over to God and saying to him, the Father, your will is now our will. Your ways is now our ways. And the things that we speak, we do not speak from ourselves, but we speak from you. Those were the very same word that our Lord Jesus Christ said when he was still on this earth. For those who build their lives based upon the word, they will continue to prosper, and the house will continue to stand, even after many, many years. But for those who decide to build their house upon the sand, when the storm comes, when trials and difficult times come, they will, they will fall. And for Christianity, for the last 2,000 years, many have predicted that Christianity will end. Voltaire, a French philosopher in 1776, predicted the, the death of Christianity within 100 years after his death. And yet Christianity is still going strong today. Gandhi said, you Christians, you, ha you have a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilizations to pieces to turn this world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But yet, all you do is you just treat it as though it's nothing more than just a piece of literature. In other words, you Christians, you have this remarkable gift that God has given you. And yet... You don't value it enough. You don't value it enough. And so we need to value what God has revealed to us. Today in America, our churches are dying. And yet God is growing churches throughout the world. 
I don't want us to be in distress, guys. I don't want us to be in distress thinking to ourselves, you know, what's going to happen to America Church? I don't know. But I want us to be joyful knowing that God has grown the church throughout the world. He's grown the church in Africa. He's grown the church in Asia. He's grown the church throughout the whole world. These churches are our church, okay? I don't want us to think that, that since the churches in America are dying and the churches in, you know, overseas are, are grown, that these are not our church. These are our church. They belong to us because we're one family. And God is going to use these churches overseas one day to bring a revival to the church here in America. And all these empty seats that you see will no longer be empty. You will, you will begin to hear the, the sounds of children laughing again. You will be, begin to hear the voices of little children around this building again. Because God has something in place. And he is saying, if you build your foundation upon me, that I will send you a revival that you've never seen before. And that revival will come through all these churches that I'm growing overseas because they all belong to you. Because you were the ones, you were the ones who created all these churches. See, your faith is the one that built up all these churches. And one day, all these churches are going to be the ones that are going to bring a revival to you. And so find joy in that. Find joy in that. Do not, find, do not be distressed because the revival is coming to America and the church will rise again. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the things that you have taught us today. Father, we're so joyful to see all these churches being built around the world. And Father, we find joy in them. We pray that one day that, a, that through them that a revival will come back to America and that the church here in America will rise again. And that these pews will once again be filled with your children, with many Christians throughout this world. And so, Father, we lift everything up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.